Good morning, everyone. My name's Alicia, and it's my privilege to read today's Bible passage with you, which is found in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hi, everyone. Some of you are watching this in the hall. Some of you are watching it at home. Good morning to you, wherever you are. I read a while ago about a rivalry between a couple of different South American soccer clubs. Now, I'm not a big soccer fan, so I'm not exactly sure what teams they were. But what's really stuck with me is the sheer hostility between the supporters of both teams. Now, one of these teams was based on an island, and that team's supporters had to enter their home ground and be locked up in their section before the opposition supporters were even able to get on a boat and go to the island and then be locked up in their section as well. Uh, Throughout the game, the supporters of both teams would be yelling and swearing and throwing objects at each other over the barbed wire fence and the security guards separating them. And when the game ended, the the away fans had to be, for them to survive, had to be escorted out of the ground and shipped back to the mainland before the home fans could even leave the ground. Now, we hear that and we wonder, how could two groups be so divided? And yet, as we watch the news and we see what goes on around the world, and even as we witness conflicts around us, we realise just how divided people can be. Uh, Sometimes it's because of past actions or different beliefs or competing interests. Perhaps you've looked at two people who, who you know or two hostile groups of people And you've just thought to yourself, there's nothing that could ever unite them. Maybe there's a person who you feel that way about yourself. What could ever be powerful enough to overcome 
the deepest of human hostilities? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a pretty good answer to that question. The Apostle Paul has begun his letter to the Ephesian church back in chapter 1 by praising God and by reminding them and us as well of the great spiritual blessings that they have in Jesus. Blessings that are far better than anything this world can offer us. Adopted as God's children, redeemed by Jesus' death, a glorious inheritance with the Holy Spirit himself as our guarantee and deposit. And Paul's prayer in response to this is that they, and we as well, would know God better, that we would be able to grasp just how awesome these blessings are. Paul then reminds them and us as well that we were dead in our sins, but made alive with Christ. We've been saved by grace through faith. And it's all part of this bigger picture that God is moving things toward. All things in heaven and on earth being brought to unity under Jesus. Paul has explained how the gospel brings people from spiritual death to life. And now in the second half of chapter two, he draws attention to how it changes things between two specific groups of people. So Jews and Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who isn't a Jew. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter 19, uh, we see recorded for us how Paul first preached the gospel in Ephesus to both Jews and to Gentiles. And we read that the name of Jesus was held in high honour by people in both of those groups. And so we can assume that the Ephesian church that Paul is writing to now included both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul shows the unifying power of the gospel by reminding the Gentiles just how much it's changed things for them. And it hinges on verse 13. They were once far away, but they've now been brought near. The Gentiles were once far away. They were objects of contempt and hostility and exclusion. Unity between Jews and Gentiles might not seem like a particularly amazing thing for us, but to grasp the magnitude of what's going on here, we really need to have some understanding of Jew and Gentile relationships at that time. And they weren't particularly good. Have a listen to how one commentator explained it. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, the funeral of that Jewish boy would be carried out. Wow. Now, Paul addresses the Gentiles in verse 11, those who were Gentiles from birth and called uncircumcised, Uh, They were called that by the Jews who took pride in their own circumcision as the the sign that they were God's people. Now, in the original Greek, Paul refers to Gentiles literally as in the flesh and circumcision as something done in the flesh by human hands. And these Gentiles, Paul reminds them, you were excluded from all the blessings of being God's people. You were separate from Christ. The, The Christ or the Messiah was promised specifically to the Jews. You were excluded as citizens of Israel to whom the blessings had been promised and and to whom God's law had been given. And you were without the covenant promises that God's people enjoyed. 
And because of this, the Gentiles were an object of contempt and hostility to the Jews. And so here we have two groups who are so divided, so fundamentally opposed that reconciliation seems impossible. And one of these groups appears to be cut off from the promises and the blessings of God. And we wonder what could ever bridge this gap, this divide between Jews and Gentiles. And indeed, perhaps more importantly, the divide between Gentiles and God. Well, the answer to both of those questions is the same. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the result is that we have not two bitterly divided groups, but one new humanity. The impossible has happened. Somehow these two groups who had nothing in common have been made into one new group. Verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility that stood between them has been destroyed. What was that wall? What was that wall that stood as an impenetrable relational barrier between Jews and Gentiles? Well, it was the law. The law that God gave to Jews, not to Gentiles, to Jews, to show them how to live as his people. The sign that they alone were his treasured people. And how has this barrier been destroyed? Well, Christ Jesus has made it happen by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. See, Jesus did what the law couldn't do. The law could never save people. It could only condemn them because it showed just how far short people fell of God's perfect standard. And really, the Old Testament in many ways is is just a case study of the inability of people to measure up to the perfect standards of God. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He obeyed it perfectly in thought, in word, in action. And so his death was the perfect sacrifice by which we who don't perfectly obey the law can still be declared right with God. That's the heart of the gospel message. And so if you're joining us this morning and you're you're still working out whether church and Christianity is for you, this is what it's all about. We're saved, we're we're brought into relationship with God, not by perfectly living up to God's standards ourselves, because that's humanly impossible. But by Jesus dying in our place, Jesus paying the debt that our sins have racked up, we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been brought from spiritual death to life, both Jews and Gentiles alike. Gentiles in the flesh and Jews who have been circumcised in the flesh have been united to God through Jesus' flesh. And this this creation of one new humanity, it wasn't just a brilliant idea that God had one day along the way. It was his plan all along. Verse 17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away, that is Gentiles who seemed a million miles away from a relationship with God. And peace to those who are near, so Jews. And Paul has in mind here the prophet Isaiah, more than 700 years earlier, who declared these words of God in Isaiah chapter 57. Peace, peace to those far and near, and I will heal them. 
peace with God, a right relationship with God uh, for the far off Gentiles and for the nearby Jews as well. And we might wonder as we, as we read Isaiah, how is this possible? And it's possible because of the work of the suffering servants that we, we see just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 53, the servant who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. This, this servant is none other than Jesus Christ. And so the cross has brought us peace with God and peace with each other as Jesus' new humanity. And because we've been reconciled to God by the cross, we've also been reconciled to each other. The purpose that, that Jesus has in all of this, verse 15, is to create one new humanity. The two groups against all odds have become one, both Jews and Gentiles, by trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They have access to God the Father by the same Holy Spirit. They have the same spiritual blessings in Christ, these blessings in the heavenly realms. How then could they remain hostile to each other? How could they possibly remain hostile to each other? You see, the cross gives us no room for contempt, for hostility, and for division as God's people, because it goes against who we are. That is a, a new humanity united together by Jesus' death. When I've had serious conflict and division with other Christians, which uh, thankfully that's been, been very rare, but when it's happened, it's been much more painful than when, I've, when it's happened with people who aren't Christian because it's just not how things are meant to be with God's people. Sure, we'll, we'll disagree on things. That's, that's natural and, and healthy. But to be divided and, and hostile toward one another, that's completely different. Hostility at times can be very obvious and very explicit. I'm sure we've, we can all relate to being on the receiving end of that. Sometimes, though, it can happen in, should we say, a bit, a bit more of a socially acceptable kind of a way. One person making it clear to another person or one group making it clear to another group that there is no relationship between them. Maybe you've experienced this personally. Someone has communicated to you through words or actions or, or lack thereof that they, they don't respect you. They have no interest in having anything to do with you. Maybe it's an attitude that you have towards someone else. Uh, someone who has wronged you, someone who has different views to you, someone who you just don't like, you find it hard to get on well with them. Are there people who you make an effort to avoid at church on a Sunday? Is there someone who you're committed to not having a meaningful relationship with? Someone you look at with contempt, someone who you'd almost consider an enemy, someone who you'd be happier without. Now, I realise this is very complex ground to walk on because sometimes a relationship will be beyond our control, uh, perhaps where there's unrepentant sin or where there's a core gospel issue that's at stake. But at other times, we can be guilty of choosing hostility over relationship. We need to be careful not to be comfortable with hostility, not to be comfortable with being out of relationship with a fellow believer. Because we all stand together 
beneath the cross of Jesus, who went to his death, shed his blood to unite us as one new humanity under him. How can we look at the cross? How can we grasp what it achieved for us, what was freely done for us, who we are because of it, and then treat a brother and sister with contempt and hostility? How can we willfully erect barriers of hostility when our Lord went to the cross to tear them down? Are there walls of hostility in your life that you need to allow the cross to destroy? Are there people who you need to move towards rather than away from? See, hostility and division, they have no place in the church because because of Jesus' saving work on the cross to reconcile us to him and because of the present identity that we therefore have as members together of God's household. Have a look at how Paul describes the church in verses 19 to 22. It's a building that's being built up with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. It's Jesus who holds this building in place. He's central to what the church is and and who we are as the people in the church. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets to whom God revealed the gospel message that we now read in the Bible. And on this foundation of God's son and God's word, the people of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, you and me, we're being built up together into a building where God dwells by his Holy Spirit. Gentiles who were excluded from the Jewish temple are joined together now with Jews as part of God's new and better temple. They're no longer excluded from citizenship. They're fellow citizens. They're no longer foreigners and strangers to God's promises. Now, after four months of social distancing and online church, this, uh, the idea of us being joined together like bricks in a building is, is probably a little, bit, um, a little bit hard to take in. But that's who we are as a church. And perhaps it's an illustration that we'll appreciate all the more by being kept at a distance for so long. It's who we are as a church. And what this means is that if you're someone who has trusted in Jesus and committed your life to following him, then you're not just a follower of Jesus, but you're a member of his body. You have a corporate identity. And a corporate identity shapes the way that we live as God's people. Here are three ways, just off the top of my head, to to think of. Three ways that um, being God's people shapes how we live. Relationships, service, and an outward focus. Relationships service and an outward focus. Firstly, we'll place a higher value on relationships within the church. Not just coming along for the sermon and the the songs as important as and great as those two things are, but to share life with each other as well, to build friendships that, that go beyond Sunday mornings. Getting to know people well enough to inform and to guide the way that you pray for them and care for them. Maybe a next step for you might be joining a growth group if you're not in one already. Maybe it's catching up, having, having lunch with someone who you don't really know particularly well at church. Maybe even inviting a whole family over for dinner or, or going over, over to their place for dinner. I know that um, Marty Fox likes to go for walks at Mount Lofty and at nighttime and invite guys along. I, I went the other week and had a lot of fun with the guys. Something like that is a great way uh, just to regularly build and grow relationships over time. 
Just imagine if everyone came back to church post-COVID, really committed to putting time and energy into building relationships with others. Just imagine how that would transform our church family. It really would feel like a family, wouldn't it? Secondly, living as God's people will mean serving the rest of the body. Uh, We touched on that a bit earlier in the service. Um, Church isn't just about me getting what I need, but it's about using my time, my gifts, my energy, the things that God has blessed and equipped me with to serve and to bless others. Now, perhaps you have the capacity to get involved in serving in some way or or in some additional way and to bless our church family in that way. And thirdly, it will focus us outwards, not just inwards, but outwards. See, God's household need, God's household extends well beyond Trinity Church Allgate. We're part of a network of churches seeking to make and grow disciples of Jesus for God's glory all across South Australia. And even our network is really just a drop in the ocean of God's what God is doing to grow his church all over the world. So how does your prayer life and your financial life reflect God's worldwide mission purposes? The Trinity Network puts out prayer points each month. We, we include them in our email, in our Friday emails, whenever they come out. Maybe you could commit to praying through those each month. Uh, we also heard from Mark Peterson at CMS last week about the need for more financial support as, as CMS prayerfully strives to see a world that knows Jesus. Perhaps that's something to consider. Even just being on the lookout on Sundays for new people at our church is a great way that we can look outwardly. So those are just a few ways that we can live out our identity as God's collective people. What a privilege, not just to be brought into a relationship with God through his son, but to be united with each other as the new humanity of Jesus Christ, his body, his church, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you that the cross, the the blood of your son, Jesus, has created one new humanity, giving us all access by your spirit to you and unity with each other as members of the new humanity of Jesus Christ. We recognise that the gospel message leaves no room for contempt and for hostility within your church. Since we've been reconciled and united together by Jesus' death, we ask that you would reveal to us the ways in which we're not living out our identity as members of Christ's body, the ways in which we're erecting walls of hostility, and that you'd lead us to repentance and change lives, lives that reflect who you've called us to be, that we would be a local and a worldwide church united for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.